In this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast, it is part two of my discussion with Leaf about the top centers in college basketball. Again, this is the top centers in college basketball. We're not discussing the prospects that are playing in Europe and Australia or even China because there is a guy in China that I really like. Once again, this is part two of the best center NBA prospects in college basketball. Stay tuned. Shout out to each and every person that has made the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. We are your source for NBA Draft content five days a week. I'm your host, Rafael Barlow, the director of scouting for NBA Big Board. And my co-host for today is Leif Tulane, the guy that watches more college basketball than anyone else. If you want to know something about a college basketball player or a game, Leif spins a ridiculous amount of hours watching games and the fact that he can remember stuff. Like I, I think I have a good memory, but Leif remembers our podcast conversations from like two years ago. He remembers plays and games. So Leif is definitely a, a star on the rise in this industry. But before we get into this episode, I want to let you know that it is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, if you are a new customer, you get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed. And all you have to do is place a $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. All right. In the last episode, we talked about Aaron Bradshaw, Donovan Klingen, Kyle Filipowski. I share my thoughts on Khalil Ware. And then we talked a little bit about Fee Missy. So I wanted to start off this episode with Zach Eady. I think Zach Eady is one of the more divisive prospects in this draft. I think there's quite a few guys, whether it's like Rob Dillingham. I think there's some people that are still a little divided on Isaiah Collier. But Zach Eady has to be mentioned as one of the more divisive prospects. I've seen ESPN rank him in the lottery. There are people that think he is a second-round pick. I think Bleacher Report had him at number 45. So that's a huge, huge range, uh, a range for the guy that's going to win Player of the Year and in college basketball unless something crazy happens. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on Zach Eady because I had a, a longtime listener say that Zach Eady is the best – I could – I'm paraphrasing here – the best post player in the world. What are your thoughts on that? Well, Zach Eady is, I mean, everyone says, oh, he's in the wrong generation. And that, like, it's consistent with what, what I believe, what I'm sure you believe. Like, if he were 20, 25 years ago, he, he'd have an argument to be the number one pick. Uh, my concern with Zach Eady is just the pace of the game in the NBA. Like it, it's not it's not that hey he couldn't be useful he couldn't protect the rim his athleticism isn't enough he just he's just too big uh, I I I'm worried about when an NBA team is scoring as much as they are now like it's it's like 119 points per game is so like commonplace 119 points per 100 possessions is like a, a, the standard right now and Zach Eady because of the way he plays. And the what he's able to do, Purdue has to play around that. And so they play, I wouldn't say methodically, like they'll still move the ball and go, 
but they, everything revolves around Edie. Now, obviously in the NBA, I think he's actually well-suited to play pick and roll, catch the ball, post up, and create uh, advantages and kick the ball out. Like, I think he's good at all those things. I just worry about the pace. Like, if you're going to take a first-round pick on a guy that can only play situationally for short spells, um, that that's just not something I would advise. Um, I do think there's a spot in the NBA for him. He's better than Boban Marjanovic. He's better than Taco Fall. All these guys he's unfairly compared to because of his enormous stature. Uh, I think he can be a drop coverage big. He's got good touch. He's a good rebounder. Can protect the rim with his just sheer size. But uh, it's uh, it's just not the right landscape for Zach Eady in the, today's NBA for me. Yeah, I agree. And the reason I agree, and I was trying to explain it to someone earlier, I think there's people that don't realize how much the NBA has changed over the last few years, even just the rules. So there's a clip that's going around on social media, and it says, Charles Barkley schools Ben Wallace. I don't know if you've seen it. So in this particular clip, it is clear isolation basketball, and it just, I mean, there's nobody within arm's length of Barkley when he has the ball. And back in the older days when they had illegal defense. So if you took, for example, Zach Eady, right, and you had him stand at the three-point line, his man had to go guard him at the three-point line. He either had to stay connected or make a hard double. And then the NBA changed the rules where you can't back guys down for like four or five dribbles. You know, that was something that Barkley did, Shaq did. Even Mark Jackson used to bring the ball up court backwards, back the guy down. So when the NBA changed the rules for that, I think it played a big role in eliminating how effective a bigger, stronger post player can be. And so in today's NBA, Zach is not going to have the opportunity to get the ball on the block. ISO, everybody spreads out, and he's going to get four or five dribbles to, to score. If the NBA allowed that, I think he would be dominant. I think he would be really dominant. And then, like you said, the pace of the game is totally different. And you're going to – I mean, teams, I think, are just going to try to attack him and and, and space him out and make him d- defend in space, which I think could could be an issue, which I think could be an issue for not only him but, but several other guys. So my concern is that if he were like a great passer – then I think it would eliminate some of those concerns. We're talking about a guy that has more turnovers than assists. And so you look at Jokic and somebody say, well, Jokic is slow-footed, yada, yada, yada. But Jokic is a phenomenal passer that can get the rebound, push the ball up court, and you can play like a non-traditional point guard next to him because you can make him the hub. I even think with Shingun, because he's such a gifted passer that you can kind of make him the hub. I don't think Edie is that gifted of a, a passer to where you can make him the hub and he's going to make incredible reads. And I don't think a team is going to give him the ball in the post and say, go to work. I do think that there is a spot for him in the NBA. I mean, I, I think it's for depth purposes. I look at a team, I look at teams in the West and I wonder, all right, if you're a playoff team in the West and you feel like you got to go through Denver at, at some point, you may need some size to stop Jokic. The problem is Jokic can shoot the three. So now, you know, you, you don't, Edie's going to end up defending in space. But 
I still don't have to say this. I remember back in the day where teams like the Thunder, for example, they had guys like Kendrick Perkins on their roster just to get past the Lakers because the Lakers had Bynum and Gasol. And so I'm wondering if Jokic is going to get to that point where teams are going to have to have a roster spot for a guy just to match up with him in the playoffs. So that, that's my thought. So where would you take Edie at? Like, would you, do you think he's a first-round pick? Do you think he's a second-round pick? And do you have a team that you think would be a good fit for him? Uh, he's a second-round pick for me. I, I just don't – I don't like taking a player that you can only play situationally. And it may end up being better than some of the players that end up selected in front of him. But uh, if I'm a team, I'm looking for a player I can I can play. And, and I think very few teams could really afford to play him other than situ- situationally um, in today's era of pace and space. Uh, I, I do think he's actually a good passer. I just don't think he's a great passer, which is what you need to be yeah. um, to make it work. Uh, I, Off the top of my head, I don't really have any teams, but I do agree with you. If you want to guard Embiid or Jokic, like the strategy of getting a few more big bodies to avoid foul trouble or you know, just just be fresh enough to defend. But I just don't see how it works because both of them are so skilled away from the basket. Yep. And that's that's like the dilemma with the modern big. You know, people are saying, oh, well, the big man is back. I think Jokic and Embiid are like one of ones in a sense. I mean, the way Embiid can handle the ball and, and Euro step and then he can shoot and then Jokic is such a – I mean, he's a point center <laughs> like – and then he has like the best touch around the basket that that I've seen. It's like, it's it's a, it's a different breed. And so other than that, you have a bunch of centers that are either like vertical lob threats or guys that like rebound. I mean, I think Shingun is probably, in my opinion, the next most gifted center as far as skilled with the basketball. But then it's the defensive end. Like I look at there's two guys that come to mind that I think are very skilled with the basketball and that are out of the NBA. I mean, you could say some of it is because of off-court stuff or in in one case, a lot of it. But I think you'll be hard to find a more skilled offensive player in the post than Jaleel Okafor and Enos Cantor. And both guys, their careers kind of went downhill because they were unplayable on the defensive end in certain situations. I mean, as a Jazz fan, I'm sure you re- you remember the series where Billy Donovan, his mouth, he mouthed like, I can't play him. And so I think that could be a potential issue with, with Zach Eadie. Yeah, I mean, Cantor was a tremendous rebounder too. Like being a Jazz fan, I watched him rebound everything offensively. <laughs> the and best defensively, hand. And he was like a sieve. Um, and, and it became very apparent that Derek Favors was better than Cantor pretty quickly. And then, of course, Rudy Gobert was far better um, than Ennis Cantor pretty quickly. Uh, I, I'm agreeing with you. I think one point to notice is there's a little bit more of a like a nuance with Edie is people will see production and like stats will be off the charts for Edie. And you watch him, and he's got that big of an impact for Purdue, but Purdue has catered their basketball program around him and around bigs for years. And I don't think an NBA team plays that way. So even pick and rolls at Purdue end up in a post up. They're not like pick and roll into a dunk. Um, so it, I just I just don't think it's as seamless a transition into the NBA. And I could be wrong, but 
it's hard to adapt your whole style of play when you're that big to space and pace when the whole game's been catered to post up and, and space around you. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree 100%. So we're on the same page. Some may disagree, but if you, the audience, have a different opinion on Zach Eadie, let us know. Hit us up on the YouTube channel, Locked On NBA, if you're listening on the podcast, and share your thoughts. All right, we'll get into the next center that Leaf believes is a good NBA prospect. But first, let's talk about BetterHelp. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. And around New Year's, we get obsessed with how to change ourselves instead of just expanding on what we're already doing right. Maybe you finally organize part of your space and maybe you want to tackle another. Or maybe you're taking supplements every morning and now you actually want to eat breakfast or you want to work out. Well, therapy helps you find what you're good at and your strengths so you can ditch the extreme resolutions and make changes that really stick. So if you are thinking about taking therapy, you have to give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online. It is designed to be convenient, flexible, and is suited to fit your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So celebrate the progress that you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash LockedOnNBA today. And you can get 10% off your first order. That is BetterHelp.com slash LockedOn. All right, like I mentioned in the open, this episode is also brought to you by FanDuel. And the NFL playoffs are here. I know there's some very disappointed fans in Philadelphia and Dallas, but it is still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, which is America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get a $150 bonus bet guarantee. All you have to do is place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet. You have live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explorer tab. You can make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, which is the, the, the best way to find popular parlays, and many more. So visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to make your first bet a layup. FanDuel is the official partner of the NFL. All right, Locked On has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Check out Locked On Sports today. It is here for you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local Locked On experts and the Locked On national shows that cover every league. So go to Locked On Sports today on YouTube and subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. All right, we spent an entire segment talking about Zach Eady. Who is the next center that that you would like to discuss as an NBA prospect that is playing in college basketball? I actually have a guy ahead of Zach Eady that I think is at the end of the first round. It's I know it's someone you like. It's Oso Iguodaro from Marquette. Mm-hmm. And I, I watched him play Villanova yesterday, and so that even makes it more like on the top of my mind, but I already had him ranked here when you asked me to prepare um, center. So I had him after the guys we discussed in the first episode. And Igadaro plays an unconventional style of basketball. 
but I think it works well in the NBA today where there's a lot of space that you can like the hub is becoming more and more important to offenses. Even offenses with really good point guards have a guy who can be like a secondary playmaker. And then some t- teams really play through their bigs, obviously Jokic, Shangun, Sabonis come to mind. I'm not saying he's anything like that, but what he is, is he's a great decision maker. He's got great hands and he's a really good vertical athlete, even if he's not super big, either in the bronze stature or in terms of height, but he's a quick twitch athlete who catches the ball in the kind of the mid post area on rolls and makes decisions of whether to pass and he shoots floaters. And maybe that's not something that a lot of teams want you to shoot now, but he's excellent at them. He rebounds well, he blocks shots, can switch. Uh, I think he's a first round pick in, in a draft that, it isn't like loaded in terms of top end talent, either from freshmen or in terms of veterans. And the more I watch him, the more I see a role for him as a second unit big. Yeah, I think he's a 10 year pro. I'm very high on him. Arguably the best passing big in college basketball. If you like guys that pass and can move the ball, he'll be one of your favorites. I love seeing him make passes at the elbow, whether it's finding cutters. I mean, some crafty behind-the-back passes. I think he's a very gifted passer. But his game fits the modern NBA outside of the fact that he offers zero floor spacing. But his game fits the modern NBA because he can be your low-usage guy that can roll to the rim, serve as a vertical lob threat. You can give him the ball in the middle of the floor if your star player gets trapped. And I, I mean, I've seen plenty of times where, especially living in Dallas, and it was before they had Kyrie and and Derek Lively, but there were times where teams would trap Luca and he'd give the ball to um, Dwight Powell in the middle of the floor, and Dwight would have his back to the basket, looking to throw the ball right back, as opposed to a big that if you're if they're trapping, you can give the ball to in the middle of the floor, and he can either shoot the floater. You know, pass it to the to the corners, or if he's playing with another big, you know, find that guy as a vertical lob threat. It, to me, I always call it like the Draymond Green play. It was like the play that made Draymond such a valuable part of Golden State's offense in in, in Golden State's like first title run when they would trap Steph and they would give him the ball in the middle of the floor and he just made teams pay. So I think Iguodaro could be one of those connective tissues that that really complements. A star. My concern with him is that he has these flashes of like great touch around the rim and floaters, but it's like once he gets to a certain point on the floor, that touch just like disintegrates. Like he's a bad foul shooter. I mean, the numbers I, I think have gotten better this year. Yeah, which, they're which, better, but the form's still not pretty. Like, yeah, I don't buy the jump pretty. shot at all. He's sixty-four percent, but. It, it's a janky form, but you know who he kind of reminds me of? It's Brandon Clark. He, he He's a, like, they both perfected that kind of mid-range shot, both quick twitch, jumpy athletes that can play the five that aren't built quite like stereotypical fives. Yeah. And they run the floor. He's better with the ball in his hands than Clark. Clark's probably a slightly better athlete. And, and better uh, shooter. And a better shooter, but was Brandon Clark regarded as a shooter? Not Not particularly coming out. So I, I I think I think Igadaro plays within himself, whereas Clark shot threes and now kind of is told. Obviously, injuries happened, but was told not to shoot very much. So mm-hmm. uh, I, I can see I can see Igadaro playing a, a role similar to that in the NBA, and he he's a better defender than you'd expect for someone who's six nine and fairly thin. 
Uh, he gets his hands on a lot of sh- uh, passes as well. He's got one, 1. 1.1 steals, uh, nearly a block per game right now. And last year, I think he had even more blocks. I think he's just higher on the scouting report, frankly. Like people build their offense to attack the Marquette defense differently than they did a season ago. So here's what's confusing to me. Igudar was listed at 6'9 last year. And now if you go to ESPN, they have him listed at 6'11. So I he, wonder. He, he's he's six nine. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> that's that's what I'm trying to trying to figure out. Did he grow? Or I mean, was it was it a mistake? Because even Marquette's website has him listed at six eleven. So I guess we'll find out at at the combine this year. I I do think those extra two inches could make make a difference because I always saw him as kind of like an undersized five. But if he's a legit six eleven. Then I think that could change things. All right, who's who's the next player that you want to discuss? Yeah, no one, no one's quite as alluring now for me. I, I have, I mean, Edie, Edie's the one that I would have put here, uh, just because I'm running out of space. But I think the next guy for me is a Dembona. Uh, a Dembona, we've talked about a couple times. I like him in theory, but the more I watch him, and part of it's because UCLA is just not very good. I, I have more questions about what his what he'd do in the role that I want him to play. Uh, he's not very big in terms of height, but he's a tremendous athlete uh, defensively. He's got really good instincts. Offensively, he's quite limited, but he's being forced to do too much, and perhaps that's what's clouding my judgment just because he frustrates me offensively now. Um, but I think I think there's a role for Bona just because of his athletic and defensive instincts. I agree. And and when we return, I have the perfect scenario and the perfect team for Dembona. I had this conversation with someone close to him and they they agreed and they were just like I would love to see it happen. But before we get into my ideal fit for Dembona, I want to talk to you, the audience, about Jace Medical. I know you come to sports and even like the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast to escape some of the realities of life, but I just want to talk about real life for a second. And according to the FDA, pharmacies are running out of antibiotics right in the middle of the worst flu season in over a decade, which is scary. I can't imagine a situation where me or my wife or my my child was sick and we didn't have some of the medication that we needed due to a supply chain issue. Thankfully, we'll be okay because of Jace Medical. The Jace case is a pack of five different antibiotics that treat a long list of bacterial illnesses, including UTIs, respiratory infections, sinusitis, skin infections, among others. And this stuff could happen to any of us. So visit jacemedical.com and complete your physician encounter. It will be reviewed by a board-certified physician and your medications will be dispensed by a licensed pharmacy at a fraction of the regular cost. It is never more important to be prepared than today. So go to jacemedical.com, use the offer code LOCKEDON, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N, to get $20 off your offer. Again, jacemedical.com. All right, we left off talking about a Dembona. I have the perfect team for a Dembona. As in, as the way the roster is constructed today, I think a Dembona would be a great fit with the Los Angeles Clippers. As their second unit big, an energy guy, someone that will 
that you can put on the floor with Harden or Westbrook and be your energy athletic role guy. If you look at the Clippers roster today, I mean, they have Big Zubac, who's who's good. You have Plumlee, who is hurt. And then you have Daniel Tice. Plumlee's a good athlete and, and a good passer. But I think giving James Harden and Westbrook another like vertical lob threat or low usage energy guy off the bench, I think could be very helpful to the Clippers because that's the one thing they're missing right now is a vertical lob threat. And Harden plays well with a vertical lob threat. I think Westbrook does too. So giving a guy, give them a guy that is like an athletic energy rim roller as a backup, I think that would be the perfect situation. And plus it's in LA. He wouldn't have to to move or go far. But I agree with what you said in the last segment about your your judgment being kind of cloudy based off of the mess that is UCLA. For Bona, and I've I've mentioned it in past podcasts. If you're every day or you've heard the story before, but I first watched him play in 2019. I think he was like 16 years old. It's on the Turkish national team at their under 18 championships. And just looking at that particular tournament, I mean, Shingun was on his team. Um, um Aldama for the for the the Grizzlies was in that tournament. Pokashevsky, Garuba. It was some very talented guys in that particular tournament. Bona was younger than everybody else. At the time, he was considered a better prospect than Alper and Shingun. Shingun was really chubby at the time, and, and um, Bona was just flying all over the place. He was really raw. And then, obviously, Shingun has developed into a potential all-star. I felt like Bona's offensive game has only, like, improved gradually. So I was a little bit down on him, but then I've had to like reappreciate what he does well, and that is be athletic, bring energy. There are some concerns because I don't know if he's going to measure out tall. I mean, if he measures out at six eight and three quarters, that wouldn't shock me. But I do think there is a role for him, and I don't like the fact that UCLA is like running the offense through him in a sense as if he's like a scorer. So I think he'll be better in the NBA because his role will be reduced significantly and all he'll have to do is roll, run the floor, block shots, provide energy, and I think he'll make a lot of money in that role. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you right there. I, I think if if you went to the Clippers, James Harden like literally is running a boot camp on pick and roll still to this day. Every practice, he, he gets all the bigs. And even like some of the younger guys that aren't bigs, but just like aren't Paul George and Kawhi essentially. And I think with that type of environment and just a guy who's athletic and can go up and snatch the ball, uh, he'd really play well there. I do think he's going to measure out at like six, eight, six, nine though. Like, I don't think he's six ten. I think Iguodaro is probably six, nine and a half. Um, they actually played each other this year. And I think Iguodaro was taller. Uh, and Bona to me is going to need to find a team that's pick and roll dependent or a team that is uh, a drop or a team that like allows him to use his athleticism and you don't need him to be a drop big. He can, but allow him to hedge and be disruptive um, as and that's where he produces added value as opposed to just being like a solid rim protector with that in that height. That's not great um, at the next level. I think if you let him be athletic and influence the mat uh, influence the, matchups and and play the game the way he can with aggression as a player who doesn't need to have all his fouls like he can be aggressive be physical 
I, I like him more than I would a, a, in college the way he has to play reserved. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's going to be so important for him to land in a situation where he has a a playmaker that will give him, you know, that will feed him on the rolls. And I he's a guy that is always going to bring energy, but I think his energy levels will be increased even more if he has a point guard that looks for him and rewards him on the offensive end. And you know, the old saying, you know, rewards are big. And, and I think, like, again, the Clippers would be, like, the perfect, perfect fit for him. So I have on a Creighton shirt, if you can't see. I wanted to hear your thoughts on Ryan Kalkbrenner. Now, I know you were high on Kalkbrenner. Do you think he is draftable? And then what role do you think he could play in the NBA if you think he's an NBA player? I I think he's an NBA player because he's a really good shot, like deterrent at the rims. Uh, I, I interviewed him last year. He was a thoughtful guy. He said, I wanted to go back to Creighton, get stronger and be more of a focal point offensively. And so far this year, I don't think Creighton's been as good as they were last year. I, I think a lot of those players are frustrated. Kaluma moved on. Nemhard moved on. Neither of them are playing particularly well. Trey Alexander had an awesome start to the year and uh but he's tailed off shireman like i said might i think is the best creighton prospect right now and colic brenner's just stayed steady like creighton does not foul they they do not foul and they allow the lowest rim protect uh lowest rim percentage in the big east and i'm sure it's among the best in the country because there's some really good defensive teams in the big east i say all that to all that to say this colic brenner his appeal is going to be he's going to protect the rim and drop coverage and he can step out and knock down some threes. So I do think there's a space in the league. I don't think his athleticism in, in the NBA is going to be like something that you can really write home about. And I don't think he's quite got the guile to be a passer. So he's got to play spot minutes as a rim protector. And I think he's situationally dependent, but I, but he's just got a good instincts and good feel. He is shooting poorly this year as, a, as compared to last year taking on that bigger role. But I think, I think just knowing how to play defense, knowing where to be um, and blocking shots is just a valuable thing. So I think there is a role, especially in a class that I don't think has 60 players better than him. Yeah. I wanted to add context. He said shooting poorly, he's shooting 64%, but last year was so crazy, especially with, um, Oh man, I can't, you just mentioned his name. I just forgot the guy's name. The, The point guard. Oh, no, Nemhard. Uh, Nemhard. With Nemhard getting him the ball, I think there was a stretch last year. He made like 18 shots in a row or something like that. He shot just a little bit under 70% last season. And I, I knew it would go down, but that just shows you how efficient he was last year when he shoots 64% this year and he's having like a, a down year. But the points per game is like identical. The rebounds have, have gone up. The shooting is, I mean, you would, I think it would help him as as an NBA prospect if he were a 35% shooter from three. He's down like 27% this year. But what's weird is that the free throw percentage is down like 15 points. And so I just wanted to to get your, your thoughts on that. So you do think that he is worth a top 60 pick? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he shot well last year. He, he shot like 80% from the free throw line. I saw him yeah. in person play two games. And he he had a 30-piece in madness, catching lobs and influencing everyone else's shot um, on the defensive end. So I, I think so. I I just have a hard time believing that someone that's got a 7'5 wingspan, the, the 
trained ability to not foul at the rim and, and still alter and block shots is going to get someone intrigued enough to take him. And and I think the shooting's better than what he's shown, but it's not like you're going to be like, oh, Ryan Kalkbrenner shooting a three in the NBA. Let's let's be terrified. Like, I, I think he'll be serviceable, though. Yeah, I mean, I had someone try to tell me they didn't think that he was an NBA player because he was a poor defender. And I had to mention to them that he is the two-time Big East Defensive Player of the Year. So I, I think and, that's and, just... And probably will be the three-time. Yeah, and I mean, he's a, a good shot blocker. Yeah, I mean, you may have some concerns about him defending in space, but I, I think that was just a, a lazy take in a sense just because... You know, he 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 may not look like this high jumping, quick twitchy athlete, which I think a lot of people mistake for being a great defender. I got one one wild card in here, and it's Coleman Hawkins. And I know I, think he's I know a five. We, <laughs> I I think he's a five in the NBA. I I think he he'd have to play in a team that wants to switch, that wants to get isolation, and they want to have someone not facilitate, but be a secondary facilitator of their second unit. And right now he's actually shooting really well. And I don't know how well it stands. Like we've had this discussion many times, which is kind of why we're both laughing at it is I, I think Coleman Hawkins is a five uh, rather than a four. Um, and that would help him out because he'd get more space. And, you know, only a few guys really bruise in the post. He's shooting 76% from the free throw line and he's shooting 36% from three and in years past he's his shot has looked good but he shot sub 30% from three he's also spearheading an Illinois team that I think's solid but unspectacular and he's taking on an enlarged role um since the news of Terrence Shannon's um legal Situation. issues <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh so I will I will posit him as a player that I think could get picked because you know, he's got enough film as a switchable defender. If someone buys into the shot being real and they like switching defenders who can pass the ball, there, there's a chance. And this is the, if there's a draft, this is the draft. Yeah, man. I was high on him two years ago. I, I just saw the shot. It's like when I watched his games and you saw the shot and you're like, oh, yeah, this guy is a shooter. And then you look at the stats and like, okay, he went one from four for three. Then you look again, then you just look at the overall body of work and you're like, how can a guy with that great of form be such an inefficient shooter? Well, the numbers are a lot better this year. It's his first one over 30%, I believe. I have to go back and watch a little bit more film with him again this year. I, I think in my mind, I've already like boxed him in as this super talented player that can pass that is, is a good athlete that does so many things well but just hasn't put it together and maybe he's the guy that is just going to be better suited in the NBA as your eighth or ninth man as opposed to in college where you're expecting him to be like your, your best player so maybe the NBA is a better fit but I think it's all going to boil down to his shooting if he ends up shooting 35 or 36 percent from three in the NBA that opens up a lot for him because he's so skilled in, in, in different areas he can handle um, he can handle he's blocking shots I mean the, the accounting stats on the defensive end are good I just always saw him as a four I just saw him as, as as a four but I mean it's fair he could be a guy that you list him as a four but 
he closes games. If he is in your closing lineup, he closes as a five when teams go smaller. So I can see that. Yeah, that's kind of my pitch. I wouldn't say I'm dead set on it, but he's certainly worth a, a nomination in a class that, that I think is fairly devoid of depth. Yep. Well, that wraps up this episode of the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Once again, thank you for making the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast your first listen of the day. Check us out tomorrow. We will have more NBA draft coverage because this is what we do five days a week. Once again, it's Rafael Barlow with Leaf Tulane, and we are out.